You're now listening to the Live Different Podcast with Matt Wilson. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Live Different Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Wilson, and today we have a very special guest, Mr. Evan DeMarco. He is a sports medicine and nutrition expert. He's a published author, a public speaker, a frequent guest on TV, radio, all sorts of digital platforms. He is the chief marketing officer at OMAX Health a world traveler and someone who I am really interested to talk to today about what we can all do, of course, to improve our overall performance, our health, uh, possibly even look a little bit better because, uh, you know, the the vanity I know is important to to all human beings, uh, if, if Evan might agree. Uh, usually what you look at on the outside can be a representation of what's going on in the inside in terms of your health. So uh, that might be a controversial statement uh, that we can get into in a moment. But Evan, welcome. Matt, thanks so much for having me. Of course, of course. Um, I would love to, yeah, I'd love to to jump in and just ask you a little bit more about yourself. I know that you are an athlete, a traveler, as I, as I mentioned, and, uh, and an entrepreneur. So could you tell the audience a little bit more about yourself, maybe that I haven't covered in your, your bio there? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so there's a lot of history, and I'll try to do the 35,000-foot view so we don't put your audience to sleep. But, uh, yeah, you know, kind of grew up in, in uh, the Midwest, uh, you know, playing sports. That was always kind of the big uh, catalyst in my background to stay out of trouble, I think, as most people. It's like, you know, either get in trouble or play sports, and I chose sports, uh, which really became the passion in my life. And, uh, you know, went to college, played sports, got injured, kind of uh, my dreams of being a professional athlete were dashed. So went out into the real world and then got dirty as a, an investment banker, uh, you know, kind of had these visions of the three piece suit and the piles of paperwork. And, and uh, I got that job and I realized I hated it. Uh, you know, it, it was absolutely torture to show up every day and do that. Uh, so after the mortgage collapse, I had an opportunity to consult with a sports nutrition company. And, and really, it, it was this moment, this aha moment where I got kind of got to go back to my roots and, and see sports and, and you know, just get, taking care of ourselves and, and everything that goes into this health and wellness journey for most people. And, and it really just flamed this passion that uh, I think had kind of gone dormant while I was putting on my tie every day. Uh, so I, I've been really doing that for about the last 15 years uh, as you said in the interview, it's like I do product development. I do, you know, write books. It's really about, <clears throat> for me, this helping people solve the equation of their lives. And and the problem that I always talk about in our industry, especially the supplement industry, is we tell you to take this supplement or do this diet or do this workout, but we never really solve for what's on the other side of the equal sign. It's like, what do you do with this new health? What do you do with this new energy, this new vitality? It's like, do you still sit on your couch and watch reruns of The Bachelorette or binge watch, you know, uh, uh, Breaking Bad, which I have not seen. So uh, we can, you know, throw the uh, shame me for that one. But Me Me neither. (laughs) Okay, good. You know, it's because I think guys like us are busy living our lives instead of watching other people live theirs through a box. So part of my goal in all of this is to really help people find the passion in their lives and do that through health and wellness. And it's a journey. It's not just a, you know, I've made a lifetime of bad decisions and I'm going to fix that with a kale smoothie. It's how do we really take everything that we know about the science, about health and wellness and apply that to, you know, allowing people to go out and really embrace their lives and the potential of their trajectory. Okay, cool. So uh, I'd love to hear more of the 
thousand foot view before we dive into strategies that can help people accomplish these things. So uh, you talked about sports being a big passion and athletics being a big passion of yours. Um, how, how important is that for people to go out and find their passion? Because this is such a kind of a crunchy, fluffy topic that uh, it's so true. It's because it's it's so cliche because it's so true. So t- yeah, tell me a little bit more about the whole finding your passion thing. You know, it, it doesn't have to be anything grandiose. It doesn't even have to be something that's specific. You know, I, I kind of focus on this, create a bucket list. And, you know, these bucket list items don't have to be when you're dying. I think, you know, we live every day with this idea that we want to accomplish something. Experience is our greatest commodity. It's the thing that binds us. You know, I don't want to sit around the the water cooler in the morning and have conversations about, you know, what I saw on TV last night. I want to talk to people about where I've been, the the places that I've traveled to, the experiences that I've had. So for me, passion is this, this recognition that we have a finite amount of time. And what we do with that amount of time is really the the catalyst for our existence. It is what defines our existence. So if we look at, you know, write down the top 10 things that you want to do. I mean, that's what I do. It's like, okay, uh, these are the things that I want to accomplish this year. Usually it's travel. It's spending time with my daughter. It's, you know, going to different places. I just got back from running with the bulls in Pamplona, which was a huge bucket list item of mine. Um, And what I found in doing that is, is that it inspires me to do so many other things. So my rule of thumb is, with a passion, anything, it's, you know, once you kind of cross that thing off, add two things to the bottom. You know, there's always that that ongoing list of things that inspires you to really, as, as Whitman said, suck the marrow out of life. Sure, sure. Uh, how, how important is it for people to be passionate about what they do for a living and how they earn money to be able? Or, you know, is that what's important to just be Uh, living your passion 24 hours a day or all right sometimes you just got to get it done get that paycheck that can serve your lifestyle to be able to go in and do the things that you're passionate about a great question um so I was in I was in Bora Bora a couple of years ago, and that was another one of those bucket list items. Go go in the overwater bungalows in, in Bora Bora and go scuba diving and, and all of that. And I had that moment, I think, like most people do, like, oh, my God, wouldn't it be awesome to live here? And then a couple of minutes later, I'm like, well, that would suck. It would get boring after a while. So I, I think to speak to your point is, is that if you're living your passion every single moment of every single day, it's going to eventually burn you out. What is there to we kind of need those peaks and valleys to really appreciate those moments. So, you know, I I know plenty of insurance underwriters who hate their job, but they really love what they do after they clock out and they go on their vacations or they spend time with their families or they have their passions outside of your work. Um, I I think that there are very few people who get to wake up every single day and be like, I am living my dream as an income earner. You know, I, I think, it just doesn't happen most of the time. And, and there's a reason it's called work. You know, if we can bifurcate those, let's have your work life, you know, enjoy it as best you can, but know that it's a, what did Stephen King say? Work is a support system for life, not the other way around. Sure. Sure. Uh, how, how integrated do you find personally that your passion is with what maybe you might consider your overall mission and vision and, and values in your life you know the, the after my whole little rant there i guess the reality is is that i do get to live a little bit more of, of that um I, I am passionate about health and wellness i i 
my backstory a little bit, or at least one of the things that was a, a catalyst for, for me getting into this industry was watching my grandfather, a man who, uh, you know, I love deeply, uh, you know, get sick. And, and in the sixties, he owned a painting company and a, uh, and a gas station. And so as he got older in life, I mean, he was just heavy metal toxins, lead poisoning, then he had Parkinson's disease and then Alzheimer's set in. And so I kind of watched the inevitable decline of this man that was so important in my life. And I recognized that pharmaceutical products weren't always the way to go. And I also recognized too, that he and my grandmother had this really kind of quintessential American dream. Let's work our entire life, save, and then retire and go, you know, drive across the country and see all of these things. Well, he never got to live that. He got sick and, you know, the, the, his retirement never came to fruition. So part of what I do uh, spurned on by just seeing him and seeing, you know, kind of uh, what happened to him is helping people experience the fullest potential of their existence. So I get amped up about that. Now, don't get me wrong. It sucks. There are spreadsheets and there are board meetings and there are, you know, late night flights to Germany or things like that. You know, it, it's not all wine and roses, but Luckily, I get to extract some degree of enjoyment out of what I do, and mainly that's in helping people really along their health and wellness journeys. No, that's great. And as you started off by saying, you want to help other people find what they are passionate about and feel good enough uh, to be passionate uh, about those things, be able to pursue their passions. And and we definitely share uh, the same type of mission my grandfather actually Retired fairly early and uh, kind of he didn't live a sedentary life. He was quite active. You know, he was a runner until he was whew, at least 75, 77. I can remember he even had a race. He's 90 or 91 right now, but he has Alzheimer's. And, uh, you know, to the point where he doesn't know who anybody is anymore. And uh, it's been, you know, it's been really tough for my family to to go through that and see that. Uh, but one of the things that we always talk about is that he, uh, yeah, one of the things that we always talk about is he didn't have the things that might've, might've kept his brain sharp as much as he could have because he retired early and he was no, he was no slouch of uh, a very intelligent guy. Um, and yeah, but he didn't, it, you know, he didn't have all those things that kept his brain sharp. And so that's one of the overarching themes that I'm always talking about in podcasts and when I'm interviewing people uh, uh, such as yourself. So I, I was hesitant, hesitant there not to pass judgment on my grandfather uh, because, you know, he, I can't even sit in this conversation, can't even sit in the same room and have this conversation with him, which is, which is difficult, but that's, this is one of the lessons that my family has learned. And so everybody really uh, tries to, to find lifelong passions that are also intellectual, that will also keep their brain sharp. So anyway, I want to offer that up to say that, uh, yeah, I see what, what people go through uh, and families go through and it's, it's difficult for sure. Absolutely. And, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head is, is if we don't take care of our brains, then, you know, as, as we kind of get to the winters of our existence, then we have nothing left. Um, and, and, and uh, you know, it, it's all about taking care of your body as well as your brain. And, and, and you know, I kind of look at that as, as really one of the key components of any health and wellness journey is you have to take care of your brain so that 
when you need it the most. You know, when it comes time to retire and really go experience everything that this world has to offer, you're sharp enough to appreciate it. Um, you know, and we all have those mental slips, right? It's like where my key is, you know, where I, I can't, I can't find something that I thought I, you know, I, I, I thought I knew where I put it. Um, and those are those subtle indications that, you know, whether it's stress or lifestyle, diet, any of those things that maybe time is catching up to us, or maybe our lifestyles aren't, uh, you know, optimized well enough. And, and what starts is just a small mental slip in your late twenties, early thirties can really kind of be an indication of profound cognitive decline later on. So I always challenge people to recognize those and then kind of take some necessary steps to make sure that you're doing everything you can for your brain. Absolutely. And, uh, when I go and see my grandfather, he's, he's in a home because that's, you know, that's literally the only way to, to manage, uh, him, you know, he's, he's locked in there, but when we take him out, there's a little putting green and he can still putt. He can still walk around. I mean, he'll, he'll to, to this day, he could probably still beat me in a putting contest. And it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it's a crazy thing to see someone who kept such good care of his body, but there's a whole nother, another side of that. Uh, I'd love to get into that a little bit with you here on, you know, there, there's, First of all, there's a lot of crossover between how if you're keeping your body healthy, you are keeping your brain healthy to some degree. You know, when I go on a walk with my grandfather, he is much more uh, cognitively healthy after because he's just with it a little bit more. He's not so difficult. He, you know, a few years ago, he could still piece together some conversations, uh, but if he's just sitting around and, you know, at home, they just put you in front of a TV. Uh, that's, that's a whole different story. So yeah. Could, could you share a little bit what you might um, see kind of around a mind body connection, if you will? Absolutely. Uh, and, and there's a great book uh, called 30 days to a better brain. At least I think it's a great book because I wrote it um, and you can find it at omaxhealth.com. And, and what I did was I created a brain supplement that was, uh, systemic of a prenatal vitamin that I had created years ago. And what I found is, is that as we come into this world and there's some certain nutrients that we really need for brain development, um, are really kind of essential in the whole healthy brain aging equation. So I wrote this book around this supplement, which is called Alpha and Omega, and it's a combination of high concentrate fish oil and Alpha GPC. Uh, but that's just one part of the equation. So in, in this book, what we talk about are some certain things that you really need to be doing day in and day out to to make sure that your brain stays healthy. A um, couple of great ones that I, I think are really fantastic. We talk about mind-body connection. Um, chapter eight in this book, which I, I get to talk about a lot, is sex. This is a huge one. Um, and so we actually kind of did this whole research study on the optimal times to have sex um, and how that actually impacts brain function. Um, so one of the biggest detriments to our brain development is the fact that the first thing most people do in the morning is they look at their phone. You know, you get out of bed. uh, Most people don't even get out of bed. They roll over and they grab their phone and they start scrolling through emails or social media, and they don't really give their brains enough time to acclimate to the day or to actually start off in a positive way. Because most of the time, if you're getting an email, it's your boss yelling at you. It's some problem that you have to put out. If it's social media, maybe you're having a FOMO episode. I missed a party last night, you know, whatever it is. So that that instant going to a phone is causing higher levels of anxiety. We're getting into our day more stressed out, more anxious. So we never have this moment where our brains actually kind of naturally waken up and naturally allow us to jump into the day in a positive way. So one of the things we talk about in this book is, um, you know, 
charge your phone in a different room. Don't look at it. Get up in the morning, have sex. It's a great, it's actually a great tip. Uh, you know, you're taking care of yourself cardiovascular wise. You've got, you know, brain derived neurotropic, brain derived neurotropic factor going. Um, so that's a fun one. Obviously working out is essential. You know, you cannot have a sedentary life. So again, we talk about screen time. How much time are people spending in front of their computers, their phones, their TVs? It, I literally think it's, we've created a society that, makes it so we just go from one screen to the next. You know, you, you sure. go to work, you sit in front of a screen all day. Yeah, you, you're if you take a train home, you're in front of your phone all day, then you get home, you sit on the couch and you watch TV until you go to bed. You know, the screen time is killing us. It's, you know, uh, so it's we have to be doing something active every single day. You know, and and you can always get into the conversations of is it high intensity interval training? Is it marathon running? It's like my thing is do something every day that allows you to sweat. You know, if, if you can just sweat every single day, you know, you're going to you're going to find something that, you know, it's like whether you play racquetball, golf, you know, whatever it is, just find something that allows you to get outside, get away from the screens and, and get your heart rate going. Um, yeah. Diet. That's a big piece of it. Right. And, and we're starting to see, I think, the systemic impacts of this modern Western diet and what that's doing to brain function. Uh, the omega six to the omega three ratio is such a profound indicator of potential cognitive decline later on. Uh, so we kind of look back in, in time 200 years ago when we were more Mediterranean as a, just a, a global population where most of the population lived around water sources, fish were a, a lot more prevalent in our diets. And we had this uh, omega-6 to omega-3 ratio like four to one. The more that we moved inland, the more that we became an agricultural and meat-based society, the more that number started to go up. So now we look at the modern Western diet and what that's done. And the average American has an omega-6 to omega-3 ratio of like 20 to 1. That much omega-6 is so pro-inflammatory. And so we're starting to see, obviously, the systemic uh, you know, negative side effects of that, you know, increased cancer rates, diabetes, cognitive decline, Alzheimer's, dementia. I mean, the list literally just goes on and on and on. Um, so part of it is really, you know, understanding your diet, you know, understanding what you're putting in your body and then, you know, being intelligent about it. It's, you know, you can't expect that if you eat Big Macs every day for your entire life, that you're going to be Johnny on the spot mentally when you're in your sixties and seventies or eighties. So there's all of these different pillars of health and wellness. And especially your, your brain is really the canary in the coal mine as your brain goes, the rest of your body goes. So if we focus on these the diet, the lifestyle, the social elements, uh, exercise, all of these things play an integral part in how our brains age and how we can expect to hit our retirement years, our golden years, and and go out and really live the life that we want to live. Sure. Uh, just to help unpack that for the listeners, you talked about omega-6 and omega-3 ratios. Now, if somebody out there is listening, how could they get? How, how could they find out that information about themselves? So there's a great question. There's a fantastic test, and it's Omega Quant, uh, O-M-E-G-A-Q-U-A-N-T. Uh, it's an at-home test. You just go online, order the test, and they send uh, send you a kit, and it's literally a finger prick, a blood draw, dried blood spot. You send it in, and they give you this whole lipid profile, uh, and it's basically your Omega-6 to Omega-3 ratio, what your Omega score is, and, and they have quantified it in what they call the Omega Index. Now, what they've determined over 30, 40 years of this testing is, is that the average American is right around a three. What they also found is, is that if you can get yourself to an eight, you're five times more likely to reach your 80s without incidence of Alzheimer's, dementia or stroke. So it really gives you a very simple 
this is the number, this is where I'm at, this is where I need to get to. And then they make suggestions on how you do that. So there's a really cool optimization component. It's very problem solution based. Okay, great. Uh, yeah, I use Wellness FX. Someone could go on uh, Direct Labs. These are these are yeah. blood tests that you can uh, have drawn. Walked into walk into a Quest lab with this lab order, so people can start to take control of their own health and start to know these things. The other way I keep track of this when I'm using the app is the Chronometer app, uh, and that would you know you tra- it's you know micro and macronutrient tracker where you put all of your foods and then it will tell you your ratio. Um, so for people who don't know, could you talk about, uh, first off, could you talk about what omega-6s to stay away from, uh, which are which is the low-hanging fruit, and then how they can eat that, where they can find the healthy omega-3s? Yeah. So I'm going to kind of inverse the answer on that one. So let's talk a little bit about where most omega-3s come from, at least on the fish oil side. Um, uh, you know, there's krill and krill is kind of a cool thing because it's a phospholipid and we can get into the science on that. Uh, but your general fish oil that you're going to find at most health food stores is going to be sourced predominantly from anchovies and sardines caught off the waters of like Chile and Peru. And from there, they're taken to a fish factory and they're literally just pressed. And so what you have is this fish meal and then this fish oil that comes out. Uh, the fish meal is sent off to like fertilizer factories, pet food factories. I mean, it's really used in it. it there's, there's some fun things that are done with it to make sure that we're not just creating a lot of wasteful byproduct. That fish oil is more commonly referred to as 1812 or crude oil. And that 1812 is representative of the EPA and the DHA concentrations in the oil for a total of about 30%. Now, the remain so you've got 30% omegas in this fish oil. The remaining 70% are your pro-inflammatory omega-6s, your saturated fats, your cholesterol, all of the bad fats as we want to call them. So let's say that you don't have the healthiest diet. You eat a lot of red meats, you eat a lot of cheeses, you know, you, you've, you're getting some, you know, that's really where your omega-6s are going to come from or your, your red meats, you know, some of the stuff that if you've got a steak every day for dinner or a hamburger every day, you're going to start to see omega-6 numbers really increase. Uh, now, if you go to Costco and you get your 12-year supply of fish oil for $4, that's going to be really that cheaper oil, that 1812, that crude oil. So if you're hoping for that fish oil to really help offset the damage that you've done with a lot of those red meat intakes, some of the low-hanging food, as you said, well, you're kind of exacerbating the situation because that fish oil already has a higher omega-6 quotient in it. So what we like to do is obviously concentrate that up, get rid of that 70% bad fats. So what you can really do is look for a fish oil that's got a higher concentration, something that's going to be 60, 70, 80%, even 90% are some of the best ones out there. Um, and the best way to do that is something called a freezer test, right? So take your fish oil, whatever one you have, go throw it in the freezer overnight. If you take it out in the morning, it's cloudy. You're going to know that it has a really high fat content, saturated fat content, including that omega-6. If it's clear, then it's going to be a higher concentrate pure omega. That's a good one. So you want your fish oil to be clear if it comes out of the freezer, not cloudy. Um, and usually that's going to be like an 80 to 90% concentrate that's going to allow you to, to put it in the freezer and be clear. Okay, I want to back this up for people real quick. Uh, and and first of all, slight rabbit hole. Uh, I read, I think it was Dr. Barry Sears' uh, Mediterranean Zone, and he talked about doing something similar and sticking a toothpick in it. Do you know this test? Uh, I'm not sure I know that test. No. Okay, you'll you'll have. I think I'm pretty sure it's that book, and he manufactures his own fish oil. Uh, uh-huh. He sells his own fish oil. So yeah, that might be helpful for you in, in your business, but he does 
there's some type of test. I think it's the, the refrigerator test or the freezer test, and then you can stick a toothpick in it. And I think of it, whether it stands up or not, I can't remember. So don't quote me on it, but that might be interesting to, to you and our, our uh, listeners can, of course, look that up if they're interested as well. But I wanted to back up and could you cover a few ways that they can get uh, – omega-3s through their diet stuff like salmon yeah so you know obviously you've got your usual suspects your cold water fish your salmon um you know your atlantic cods you know uh um even tuna but you know some of the things that we we're starting to see and this is where really the concern is is that if you're looking at fish as the catalyst for your omega-3 uh, intake, there are some concerns, right? Plastic toxicity in the oceans, um, you know, all the environmental damage that we're doing, even global warming is having an impact on how fish are really manifesting as far as a finished product. Uh, there are literally fisheries in Japan that are running Geiger counters over their fish as a result of Fukushima. So you've got irradiated fish coming out of some of the Pacific, you know, the Japanese waters. Um, so, you know, one great way to avoid a lot of that is actually trout. So, you know, a freshwater fish, trout, really high in omegas, um, and you don't have to deal with a lot of those, uh, you know, plastic toxicity or environmental toxicity issues. Uh, but there's some algae sources of it. That's great. Uh, but by and large, I always caution people that, okay, let's look uh, a little bit of a side note here. I think if you look back at supplements, at one point, just the very definition of supplements were like, I can't get everything that I need from my diet. Let me take some pill. Um, I think supplements have become more essential. And, and as we really look at what we're doing to our oceans, what we're doing to our food supply, supplements are becoming more and more essential. Um, and, and this is where I really look at fish oil as kind of I love fish. I eat it all the time, but I'm still very scared about the sourcing of it. I get a little nervous about where it's coming from. So if you're not 100% certain on where your fish is coming from, um, it's great to take a fish oil supplement, a good quality one where it has gone through a process where you know that it doesn't have those environmental contaminants in it, those heavy metals, those toxins. Um, but by and large, again, if, if you're looking for a dietary source of it, you know, your salmon, uh, especially wild caught. Uh, you know, Atlantic cod is a great one, a trout. Um, so those, those would be the three ones that I would really look at as a food source. Okay. Very good. And just a note for the, the listener here, um, you talked about heavy metal toxin or you mentioned, uh, heavy metals before one thing important to, to know is try to eat the foods that are, or try to eat the fish that are very low on the food chain because your your tuna, for example, have eaten, you know, they're a predatory fish. They've eaten a lot of other fish that may have uh, heavy metals in their bodies. Thus, you are increasing your heavy metal load. So I really, I love tuna. I really try not to eat it very much. When I do, I try to take some chlorella or, or glutathione with it or something like that. Um, so that's just a note for everybody listening. But I wanted to to talk to you, ask you a bigger picture, picture question here. Uh, people listening may be saying, well, I'm more into the ancestral health thing and uh, our ancestors didn't supplement. So why should I supplement? What would you say to those people? Uh, our ancestors didn't drive around in cars either. So it, it's that's the argument that I always laugh at because you have to play what's good for the goose is good for the gander. It's like, you know evolution has put us in a place where we have had a profound impact on our environment and it's impossible to ignore what that impact has been and what we can do to offset that impact when we were 
coming across the plains in our wagons and then, you know, uh, you know, eating a very ancestral diet, or even if you're looking at more of the Mediterranean, uh, you know, diet from, uh, from Europe, we did not have the lifestyle that we have now. Um, the other argument to that, which I think most people don't realize is, is that the life expectancy of some of these people was a lot lower. So it's like, you know, the, I love the ancestral diet, but I'm like, well, yeah, but people only live till 50. So, um, it's impossible to ignore the entire scope of evolution and what that means. Now, uh, you know, I'm in LA right now and I, I got to see just the, the smog, the, you know, all of the cars, people literally sitting in their cars for hours every single day, just breathing that stuff in. When we were, you know, 200 years ago, 300 years ago, a thousand years ago, we didn't have to deal with that. So the supplements, you mentioned glutathione is a perfect example, right? I think that that becomes one of those essentials where we have to help our body detox from the environments that we're putting it in. So, um, yeah, it, that, that really, it, that's what it boils down to is, is that we can't ignore what we've done to our environment and how our place in that environment uh, or how our body's environment in that environment are acting and what we need to do to help it. That's exactly right. Years and years ago, we were not manufacturing all these crazy chemicals that we can now find in our hair, in our blood, in our fat cells, etc. So, uh, yes, I, I think that's a that's always a fascinating argument uh, to me. And then, Evan, now can you go back to uh, the, one thing that I wanted to bring up? about the omega-6 is yes there are foods that you should stay away from but people do need omega-6s uh, and while something like peanut butter for example isn't my top choice but i do have some peanut butter in my diet i like it i like to put it i i think it tastes better than the almond butter and the cashew <laughs> butter and the pecan butter and i just try to get a lot of different nut butters in my diet if I can, but yeah, I like some of that omega. Or I, I realized recently that chia seeds or hemp seeds were pretty high in omega-6s as well, and I think those are fairly healthy things. Uh, so could you just talk a little bit about how you don't need to eliminate omega-6s, maybe it would be impossible, I don't know, from your diet, but it is important to have them as well, right? It, it, absolutely. And, 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 you know, I, I never want to make omega-6s, you know, out to be the bad guy. I think, unfortunately, with that modern Western diet, they have become very pro-inflammatory. And that's either because of a lack of omega-3 intake or because of the diet themselves that we're taking in so many. But, you know, there are a ton of healthy sources. Walnuts are a perfect example, right? Or you look at chia, flax, hemp seeds. So there, there are some great dietary sources. And I think as we kind of transition from a what I would say, a Western diet to a more Mediterranean diet, then they become essential to pair with the omega-3. So you have that balance, that ratio, where we know that, you know, they really play off of each other very well in the body and help support each other in, in resolving inflammation. Um, you know, all, I mean, really, the, the list goes on and on as far as what they can do for us. Uh, it's only when those ratios get out of whack that we start to have issues. But, um, you know, hopefully your listeners and a lot of the people that we're talking to are, are taking this to heart and recognizing that, Dietary changes are essential, and if you do that, then you start introducing the healthy fats, the good fats, uh, which are going to naturally be high in omega-6s. There's going to be some definite benefit that comes from that. Okay, great. And just one other side note, uh, just so we can cover everything for people on this topic or, or a lot in a small amount of time. You see the eggs at the grocery store that say, oh, these have uh, – Extra, they've been injected with extra omega threes or whatever they do. I try to stay away from that stuff, 
I don't actually know why. Uh, that's probably not the best choice, but I heard it somewhere. Do, do you know by any chance? Yeah, and, and there are some where basically you've got genetic modification, which is kind of leading to high high omega concentration eggs. Now, one other thing that I, I would like to point out in this particular situation is that the FDA allows an omega claim on a food product at 32 milligrams. Now, the FDA, the World Health Organization, many of these national governing bodies or international governing bodies look at Americans and recognize that the average American is deficient in omegas by up to 450 milligrams. So there's a huge disconnect. So you look at an egg like, oh, it's got omegas in there. I can have an egg and I've hit my omega intake for the day. Absolutely not. You know, look at alternative and realistic you know, dietary sources of it and then supplement sources of it. Uh, so genetically modified eggs, not a great source. One interesting thing to note, though, there are great, there are some great organic eggs out there where they have an omega content in them simply because the feed that they're giving the chickens has a lot of omegas in there. Um, so that's one thing. If, if, you know, the feed is, is an organic, high concentrated omega feed, uh, from like an algae or a fish source, not a problem. So it's, it's always just recognizing that whole food cycle and how you're actually getting it there. If it's genetic modification, stay away. If it's just the chickens are eating a lot of algae, not a bad thing. Okay, great. And uh, I, I do want to talk to you about some other things, but while we're in the thick of it, I want, want to cover a couple more things on this topic. Just, I, I, I can't put out half information. You know, people need to hear the whole story. Uh, so when it comes to, there's certain ratio, okay, everybody knows about omega-3s and omega-6s by now. Um, and there is uh, two things that are really good for your brain. Uh, in these omega-3s, in a fish oil, in a krill oil, in a algae oil, um, the DHA and the EPA. So can you talk a little bit more about the ratio of that as well? Because, uh, yeah, there, there's a lot there, but I wonder if, if you could give us a brief overview. Absolutely. And, and this is one of the most controversial topics in when it comes to lipid scientists. I, I've never seen... Uh, scientists get so worked up and so frustrated about a singular conversation, but you have this, right? You have this conversation about EPA versus DHA and which one is best and how does it work? And the funny thing is, is when you look at the kind of the, the catalyst for omega supplementation, it wasn't based off of either of those. It was based off of DPA. So Dr. Jorn Dyerberg, you know, uh, takes his sled dogs out into the, you know, into the Inuit population. And he wanted to do the research to understand why this population of people who was basically devoid of vegetables in their diet still had such a low incident of cardiovascular disease compared to the rest of the world. And what he found out was, is that their diet predominantly consisted of seals. Seals are naturally high in DPA, what we kind of consider the missing omega. The problem is, is that there wasn't a realistic source of DPA outside of baby seals for the supplement and the pharmaceutical industry to create a, you know, a dietary supplement. So we went to the anchovies and sardines and, you know, basically went to the EPA. So EPA, by and large, has been kind of, um, you know, uh, the virtues of that have been extolled for the anti-inflammatory properties, the cardiovascular properties. So you really see it in uh, even some of the pharmaceutical drugs like Lavaza and Vasepa. Um, most of the OTC products, the dietary supplements that are high EPA are really focused on inflammation and cardiovascular. But DHA is like 40% of the lipids in our brain are DHA, 60% of the fat in our eyes are DPA. So when we look at brain and eye health, we have to look at DHA. 
So you're going to have, I've literally seen like scientists almost come to blows over this one topic. Is it four to one ratio? Is it one to four? Is it one to one? Um, I'm a big believer that you do need a lot of DHA in your diet. I think as we start to age, it, the DHA becomes essential for maintaining optimal eye and brain health. And one of the things that we're not uh, really focused on right now, or at least the market's starting to focus on it, is the amount of screen time and what that's doing to our eyes. So DHA becomes essential in helping our eyes stay healthy, our brain stay healthy. Uh, but I also recognize the inflammation resolution part of that. Um, so to me, the optimal range is like four to one EPA to DHA. That's kind of my, my sweet spot. Uh, but I'm also a big believer too, that you can switch that up. So you don't let your body get used to something. It's like, take, take a supplement for a couple months, take a couple weeks off, allow your body to process through all of that. Um, and then maybe switch it up a little bit and go to like a four to two or a two to one or something like that. It's, you know, keep your body guessing. And since these are fat soluble vitamins, you know, take a break from them every now and then allow your body to process through anything that's existing in your system and then start to build back up. Okay, great. And uh, I'm going to have to find what I recently read. We had a podcast guest, uh, Dr. Brent Cartwright, and his new book is on neurogenesis, which is a huge, uh, a huge thing that I, I'm interested in. And he, I believe it was him who said that you, uh, DHA is so big for neurogenesis that we should look for a ratio with the DHA. So I recently switched over to algae oil. I just try to get from different sources. I'm careful not, I really don't have take fish oil because it's difficult uh, to find from clean sources. I know that your company is creating, has created something that is uh, supposed to be really clean. So maybe I'll have to give you guys a shot. Krill oil I knew was a lot safer, so I just went in that direction. Recently discovered algae oil because my girlfriend is vegetarian, and so she really <laughs> liked that. Then I read the back, and then I read the back and realized it was so high in D DHA. I started up in the the uh, the algae oil, but I don't want to create two hours <laughs> of content here on the omegas uh, because I do want to talk to you more about uh, CBD and and things of that nature. Do you have any final words up there on the, uh, the whole omega issue we're talking about? Yeah, and, and you brought up something interesting uh, to close this out, and, and because you you know you brought up the uh, the vegetarian source, I, I want to throw this out there just so people are aware of it. Is is that one of the biggest things uh, I hear from just at conferences, uh, you know, or people who are just you know not really aware of the whole thing, like oh, I get my omegas from chia or flax or or hemp. So we do have to you know acknowledge that uh, that ALA, which is the predominant omega source in vegetarian like chia flax only converts in our body to dha and epa which really we know has the profound impact on inflammation resolution and brain health at very small percentages estrogen helps so some women can convert it at about 20 percent most guys are going to be between five and ten percent so you know they're like oh well I, I had my two you know two grams of chia today well i'm like that's great but you're going to have to like 10x that to actually get to where you want to be um and unfortunately those particular ingredients the chia and the flax have the potential to go rancid as you imbibe them in that quantity so it, it really becomes a you know I, I i never say you know just take a fish oil because it's you know it, it, it's uh because I manufacture fish oil or because I make that, I make, you know, algae oil as well. But if you're going to try to get omegas um, as a vegetarian, look to the algae because the ALA is just not going to get you where you need to be.
Great. That is something that we mentioned uh, before our interview, and I'm glad that you you snuck that in. Shifting, <laughs> shifting gears towards CBD, this seems to be a big, scary topic for a lot of people. Uh, I could could you just unpack? Uh, how it is, A, not the same as THC, the psychoactive ingredient in, uh, in cannabis, right? Um, how, hey, could you talk a little bit about the legality of everything here, about what plant it actually comes from, how this plant might be some, different from something that does produce THC and get you high? Uh, talk to us here about this trendy new uh, trendy new piece of where am I going with this you know where I'm going take it away absolutely yeah and, and you've just talked you hit the nail on the head right I mean this is the biggest conversation in not just health and wellness but in pharmaceutical uh, FDA a couple of weeks ago a couple of weeks ago approved the first ever CBD product epidiolex which is used to treat childhood epilepsy uh, this is something that has been on the radar for a very long time, and it is a exciting conversation. It's confusing. It's tumultuous. So let's jump into what it is first. CBD is a phytocannabinoid. It's one of you know roughly 113 different phytocannabinoids uh, typically found in the hemp plant, the cannabis sativa plant. Um, now, we'll jump into the legal side of that. One of the other big phytocannabinoids is THC, the psychoactive, the thing that gets you high, the thing that's going to have you at 7-Eleven at 2 a.m. craving nachos. Um, both of those all can come from the same place. Now, there has been some engineering and there's been some cultivation to, to basically, you know, like a lot of the, the marijuana, uh, medical marijuana, even some of the, the THC rich stuff has been cultivated so that we can increase the levels of THC and decrease CBD. Conversely, a lot of the industrial hemp that's created hemp oil, full spectrum phytocannabinoids has really been cultivated to decrease the levels of THC and increase the CBD. So there's a lot of engineering, we'll call it bioengineering. Um, we can call it GMO if we want to. Uh, but there's a lot of work that's gone into creating what we're going to call legally compliant uh, products. Right now, as it sits, um, and this is this could change today, it could change next week, it could change next year. The only way to buy product across state lines is to import legally compliant hemp from a foreign from a foreign source with THC below 03 percent. Now, each state has different CBD laws. There's pilot programs in different states. You've got states that have approved medical marijuana. So this becomes a bag of snakes that no one really completely understands, uh, even though the FDA says that CBD is a drug. Full-spectrum phytocannabinoids are not a drug. So it's again, this is one of those things that has people like, what am I doing? What's the legal compliant piece of this? Currently, there's a bill, the Hemp Farming Act, which is part of the U.S. Department of Agricultural Farm Bill, has been proposed, which would legalize the domestic cultivation of CBD and all hemp uh, hemp products within the United States. And I think this is one of those things that really we're looking to see as a way to help tobacco farmers transition from tobacco into a much more robust crop that has a whole plethora of opportunities outside of just creating CBD uh, or hemp oil. It's like we know you're making rope, you're making plastics. There's, I mean, the, the hemp plant is so incredible. It's so versatile. And one of the big things that most people don't know is hemp has such a robust history in our country. At one point, uh, George Washington grew this in his front lawn. Uh, at one point, it was illegal for the biggest farms in the United States to not grow hemp. Uh, wow. It made our ropes. It made our clothing. You know, the fibers from hemp are so versatile. And 
basically the cotton companies came in and, and, and it became really just another power play. It was like the diesel engine versus the gasoline engine, you know, in, in the early 1900s. So commercialism, unfortunately, has has uh, villainized a plant that has such an incredible opportunity to do so many good things. One of those things, obviously, is CBD, cannabidiol. Uh, and, and, and we can start to get into the isolates versus the full spectrum. I'm a big believer in full spectrum. You know, we've got 113 unique uh, phytocannabinoids, which seem to have a pretty profound impact in helping our endocannabinoid system. So we call it ECS, and which is a, a system in our body, uh, kind of a peripheral uh, to the central nervous system, which has these receptors in it that seem to respond very well to CBD uh, or this full spectrum phytocannabinoids. And that's everything from, you know, mood, sleep, appetite, pain management, uh, you know, the list really kind of goes on and on. So it's a fascinating time in our industry um, to talk about this product. It's confusing as hell. No one really knows what's going to happen. There's some speculation, but uh, it's, it's definitely one that um, uh, I do a lot of podcasts and I, I spend a lot of time talking about this. I was at a summit last week and, and this is really the topic of conversation that everyone has. Okay. I wanted to ask you a little bit more about the receptors and uh, maybe I'll sound like a stoner when I'm, when I'm talking about <laughs> this, but there are receptors in your brain, which you mentioned, that as far as I understand, scientists don't know what else these specific receptors can do other than receive the cannabinoids and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and make you healthier or reduce your inflammation or make you, feel, make you feel better, make you sleep better. Could you talk a little bit more uh, about that? Because this, this really fascinates me. Yeah. So, so what you have are you have CB1 receptors and CB2 receptors and your CB1 receptors are located predominantly in your brain. Your CB2 receptors are located pretty much throughout your body. Um, and, and the receptors are really the same thing. I always like to look at them as kind of a lock uh, that's just waiting for a key. So the receptor is the lock and then the cannabidiol, the CBD, the CBDA, you know, all of these phytocannabinoids are the keys that are really trying to get in there. And then they create that union. And then that union really is the thing that uh, systemically has the impact in it. So when we look at the CD1 receptors in the brain, what we really notice is decreased neural inflammation. Um, and that's a big one, right? So, uh, so as we get older, uh, nerve, conduction, nerve conduction velocity, cell-to-cell communication, all these things start to slow down. Um, and CBD really seems to have an impact in reducing neural inflammation, which kind of helps speed those things back up, you know, those cell-to-cell communications, nerve conduction velocity. Um, It also seems to really help regulate mood, you know, so people are sleeping better. They're they're taking this, they're sleeping better, they're feeling better. Um, One of the interesting anecdotal pieces about CBD is they always talk about appetite control. And I always wonder, is it, well, are people get stressed out and then they binge eat. So is, is the fact that people are taking CBD and not eating as much really just systemic from the fact that they feel better. So we're not binge eating. We're not stress eating. Um, lowering homocysteine levels, C-reactive protein levels, all of these markers for inflammation and stress. And, and so cortisol levels. So when people are taking this, all of these levels are starting to come down. So we're starting to see this really profound impact in the way that people are handling stress or people's bodies are handling stress. So it's, again, fascinating stuff. Um, You know, we kind of really look at like opioid addiction is a perfect example, right? I mean, there seems to be a lot of potential for CBD to help people get off of opioids. Pain management, you know, chronic pain management. Fibromyalgia is an incredible one. Neural and total body inflammation and CBD seems to be having a play in that. So it's one of those things. 
it, it has become a little bit of a panacea for everything under the sun simply because the research hasn't caught up to at least anecdotally what we know it can do are like we like to say the n of ones you know someone takes it and they're like oh i feel incredible um but it is catching up and that's the great thing right is we get to see all of this research taking place and what this stuff is going to do and how people are really responding to it sure and i'd like to to go back to something that you said that was really interesting about the ratio between thc and cbd and a lot of these plants um i've heard of one strain and i i believe it's a strain of actual cannabis uh called charlotte's web where they can give it to kids and kids who are are uh say they have cancer or they need it for pain management you know you don't want to give your kid mer- medical marijuana and have them be high but you'd like to take care of their their pain uh and to me there's nothing more important than than helping someone not be in pain, especially when it comes to how easily it, how easily people can get hooked on opioids. Do you know about maybe the specific strain, or, or could you tell show people a little bit the bigger picture that hey, look, this is this is, these are doing really great things, and this genetic modification uh, is a really great scientific breakthrough. It is. And, and the Charlotte Swift Company or, uh, you know, the CW company now is they've uh, uh, out of Colorado. I mean, really, that was their claim to fame is, is, is they found a product that really seemed to help with childhood epilepsy. Um, but again, it's, it's pain management. And so, you know, the genetic modification of these particular products is not a bad thing. It's just allowing science to help, you know, create something that has impacts in those areas. Um and, and, and the issue with it, and this is becomes a this becomes the legal conversation, right, is now you've got Charlotte's Web, who created the initial product for childhood epilepsy versus Big Pharma, which just created their Epidiolex product. Mm-hmm. Now, history has kind of shown one of two particular routes that this could go. And I use Omegas as kind of the perfect example. Um, you've got Lavaza, Vasepa, two big pharmaceutical products on the market that compete with the OTC products. And everyone lives in a very happy world. No one's, you know, the big pharma is not really angry at the OTC products. There's room for everybody. Um, so there hasn't been much of an issue. The other uh, thing that came out, and this was a couple of years ago, was red yeast rice uh, was found to have a natural lavazostatin, a, pro- uh, a compound in it that would lower cholesterol. So the, far- the dietary supplement companies recognized this and started putting it on the label. Well, the big pharma companies like, nope, that's not happening. And so you had uh, you had a celebrity death match between big pharma and the dietary supplement industry on this red yeast rice. Unfortunately, as big as the supplement industry is, it pales in comparison to the pharmaceutical industry. So they couldn't go head to head with that Goliath. Um, I kind of feel like CBD is headed down that road. So, uh, you know, the Epidiolex product was just launched. You've got two or three new drug applications in with the FDA for CBD based products. What inevitably is going to happen, I think, is that CBD is going to declassify it as a Schedule One narcotic and put it squarely in the realm of a pharmaceutical product, which then is going to bring up is full-spectrum phytocannabinoids from hemp oil a drug or a dietary supplement? My job over the next year, two years, three years, our job in this industry is to inform consumers that full-spectrum phytocannabinoids equal CBD. Most of the time, that full-spectrum phytocannabinoid is going to be about 92% CBD. So in the event that there's this broad-sweeping legal legislation that says that CBD is a drug from a pharmaceutical company, people can still go out to their, you know, their health food store. They can go online and they can get good quality products from trusted sources. 
So that is my that's my uh, my pulpit on that one is is we have to inform consumers that full spectrum equals CBD and that full spectrum actually is a lot healthier than just the isolates of pure CBD. Okay, great. And, and you talked. There's so much we can learn from history, especially on these topics. You talked a little bit about how uh, I know, for example, I think in World War Two or World War One, it was. Uh, hemp that was uh, helping make duffel bags. Or I remember growing up, my dad probably passed down from from his grandfather. We had this uh, hemp rope in the uh, in the in the garage, and actually, I remember being uh, I don't know. 10, 12 years old or something. And you know how with a nylon rope, you can take a lighter and, uh, and do the end of it and kind of seal it up so it doesn't fray and this hemp was all frayed. And I remember lighting it and think, oh my God, this is hemp. Maybe I'm going to get high as a you know, <laughs> kid. Um, that's a side story. Now, the, the, the history of this, was it the DuPont? Uh, was it the DuPont Corporation who who helped push through the legislation to get rid of all the uh, the the marijuana plants in the United States? Can could you talk a little? Is this the same history you're referring to that when it comes to hemp? Yeah, it, it really is. It's it's you know it, capitalism has uh, in capitalism there's always a victim, right? And and innovation, cheaper manufacturing, whatever it is, seems to be the uh, you know seems to be the the winner in a lot of those battles. And and so hemp as a versatile plant that created fibers for clothing, fibers for rope, all of this uh, was eventually pushed out, you know, by, uh, you know, I, and I believe it was DuPont. I'm not a hundred percent certain, but I think it was DuPont that came in. It's like, we can create something cheaper uh, and, and more economical. And they sold it to the government and, and the government basically, uh, you know, uh, the lobbyist said, well, we don't want to have competition in this one. So let's just make it illegal. Um, wow. and, 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 and that's it. You know, the other, the other interesting thing about, um, marijuana was marijuana was actually like the Spanish word for the same plant. And there was an interesting thing that took place and I believe it was the twenties. And so it became demonized as this drug only because it was an, it was a catalyst to export illegal aliens from California. So the whole story behind it was, you know, people would come across the border and then basically someone would say, well, the, the Mexicans would get high on this marijuana and then start soliciting sex from white women. And that was literally like in the books as how it became demonized. So they started to basically utilize it as a way to deport, um, you know, men and women back across the border. Uh, seems to be very fitting uh, to kind of the current political climate, but that's probably a conversation for another time. Uh, it, it's, you know, literally that was it. It's, it's, People were, you know, people were smoking marijuana and, and you know, becoming a little bit more frisky is, is really how this particular product ended up on the same list as, uh, you know, opioids, uh, heroin, cocaine. And, and, and it's, you know, you, you kind of look at it and you're like, whether you believe in it as a recreational drug or whatever it is, it's, it's almost laughable when you when you kind of look at the history and how we ended up where we're at with this. Sure, sure. No, it, that, that's incredible. And that's why so many people use the word cannabis, because it doesn't have those same connotations as the word marijuana is used to, uh, or in history was used to really make it sound very Mexican. I mean, they use the same exact word in the Spanish language. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's fascinating. Um, Evan, as we, as we start to wrap up, uh, I know we, we covered a lot. All of this will, of course, be on the show notes 
there at under30experiences.com slash blog. Uh, You'll probably be able to find this on medium.com as well. A number of different places where we'll syndicate this out to, but I wanted to, uh, again, take a step back from the details and just overall in your experience, I try to leave our listeners with some overarching advice. It doesn't have to be about, you know, Hey, take your, your, cod liver oil. Maybe that's what you want to tell everybody. But uh, just overall, if they want to perform better, be happier people, be able to go out and uh, do the things that they're passionate about. Uh, As you started off this interview, what would you tell them? Great question. My first bit of advice is, has to do with your cell phone. It's Don't make that the last thing you look at before you go to bed and don't make it the first thing you look at when you get up in the morning. Create realistic routines that allow you to get sleep and allow you to drift off to sleep um, and then wake up without having that stress of that device. The more that we can detach from that, I think the happier that we're going to be. Set realistic goals. You know, find something that you're excited about. You know, it doesn't have to be big and glamorous. Maybe it's small, but, you know, Niagara Falls begins with a single raindrop. Create a lifestyle that you can be happy about. And it's it's those small incremental victories that allow us to, you know, lead up to something big. You know, if if you want to go run with the bulls, then, you know, start saving for it. But But set a realistic goal of something that you want to achieve in your life. And I guarantee that if you do that, you're going to get that bug, I think, as you have it as well. It's like, you know, that, that wanderlust where you want to achieve the next thing. You want to accomplish something else. Uh, unfortunately, I, I like to spend a lot of time in Europe, and, I, and I, I love going over there because I see how detached they are from, like, TVs and devices. And, you know, it's so social. And, and that's, that's the beauty of being in a place like that where you can, you can walk into a pub or a cafe or, or whatnot and be friends with a bunch of people in such a short amount of time. And, and the things that bind us over there are not our, you know, love of the bachelorette or, or things like that. It's, it's just that, that recognition that we're all part of the same species, you know, part of the human race. So, uh, you know, get out of your comfort zone. Do something every day that scares you. You know, it's it's growing that capacity and it doesn't have to be big you know if you want just walk up to the pretty girl at, at starbucks and just say hi you know there's, there's nothing wrong with that what's the worst thing that you could say like leave me alone you know uh, who cares it's uh, it's uh i always challenge people to do the, the exercise of if you look at the life expectancy for men or women in the united states and i think it's like 78 for women and 76 for men you know subtract your age from that, multiply that number by 365 and you recognize those are the amount of days that you have left. You know, if you just play the odds, those are the amount of days that you have left. How much time are you going to waste doing things that don't allow you to achieve some degree of passion and happiness in your life? That is is amazing advice. Evan DeMarco, where can people find more about you? Maybe reach out to you on social media and become involved uh, in the things that you're doing. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter, what is, uh, I think I'm Evan underscore, uh, DeMarco on Instagram, uh, Facebook. Um, uh, let me tell you, cause I, I never remember these things. Like people are like, what's your Facebook handle? Like, I don't know. Um, I am, who am I? I'm just Evan DeMarco on Facebook. There you go. And so, we're going to so find me there up in the show notes. So everybody can, everybody can find you out there. So no worries if you don't have it off the off the top of your head and also uh, your company? Uh, Omax Health. So if you're looking for CBD, great CBD products, fish oil, uh, anything to, to really just be a, a, a support system in your health and wellness journey, go there. Uh, I think you'll like what you see. 
Good. You had a lot of good articles on there. I was catching up before our interview, and I'm so happy that you said that cell phone thing. Keep it on airplane mode, people, because the radiation is not doing your genitals or your brain or your mitochondria any favors. So exactly, man, I couldn't uh, I couldn't recommend that more. Evan, I actually I, I want to keep rolling for a second. Just uh, I have one other question for you. Because I think the quality of uh, CBD is so important because I've actually gotten high from CBD that I bought uh, some crappy CBD. So what, what would you suggest for, first of all, why was it? It was the first time I ever took it and I was like, oh shit, this stuff is good. <laughs> but that was not, I sat down to read a book. I was at my grandmother's house and my grandmother lives in Key West. I bought some CD, uh, CBD off, uh, I don't know, in some non-health food store uh, a few years ago. It was kind of new on the market and took it. And I was like, wow, I'm really into this book, but that's not the point. <laughs> so uh, could, could you help us with that? case people are still listening. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and look, I did the same thing. I was at a conference last week and in the gift bag was a CBD chocolate bar. So I get back to the hotel room and after dinner and I'm kind of hungry. So I just break off a corner of it. You know, just, I wanted something sweet before I went to bed. Um, and like half hour later, I'm like, I'm stoned to bejesus. And I'm like, like that was not just a CBD chocolate bar. Uh, so yeah, that is a great question. How do you identify a quality product in the marketplace? I think the first place you have to look at is, you know, a company's existing product line. Um, there are practitioner brands and I, I like to look at like designs for health, Quicksilver scientific, Omax health companies that are not CBD companies. They're general health and wellness companies that have a focus on, you know, bringing longstanding quality products to the market. Uh, one of the things that you can see in those particular companies, if you call them up, is like, hey, I want to see your certificate of analysis. I want to see your THC you know, testing on this one like that. There are a lot of fly-by-net companies out there. There are a lot of cowboys out there that are just trying to make a quick buck in this business. And if you go to a website and you say, you know, like world's best CBD and that's all they have, there's a good chance they might be a good product, but they might not be. So, you know, go – you know, go where the companies have done the due diligence, not just on CBD, but on all of their products to ensure that they're bringing healthy, good quality products to market. That, that's that's fantastic advice. Uh, one time I had the probably a couple times a week I prepare a sweet like sweet potatoes and I do it in ghee. And uh, I there was a company out there that was making CBD uh, ghee, which I really enjoyed. Until I tried to cook with it, and then the dosage was just way too much. And I woke up the next morning, and I felt like I needed six cup of coffee, cups of coffee, just to get out of bed. So, uh, any recommendations on on dosage? You know, uh, that's it's unique to every person, and, and I'm I'm actually working in a focus group right now on CBD and, and this particular product that I created for Omax. It's great because it's it's omegas, CBD, and theanine. So it's really designed to be a multi-mode of action for relieving stress, uh, anxiety, helping people sleep. Um, each pill is only five milligrams of CBD. And I tell people to start with that and then kind of work yourself up depending on, you know, your tolerance, your body weight, your size. But, you know, I, I talked to a guy who's, you know, six foot three and 200 pounds and he took a five milligram. He's like, I slept like a baby. It was awesome. So, you know, it, a lot of it where we start to standardize delivery systems is going to be the, the other key component, right? So tinctures, gummies, all of that, unless there's a real standardized delivery system, you never know where you're getting it, right? You could have separation within your tinctures. So one drop might be, you know, really concentrated and the rest might be like a carrier oil, like MCT or something like that. 
Uh, one of the things that I like about soft gels is that they are tested for something called content uniformity. So you know that that soft gel is going to have a consistent dosage every single time. Um, gummy, same thing, right? It's like, you know, how, how the batch is mixed and how it's produced. You might have one gummy that has a lot of CBD and one that has none. So always look for consistent delivery systems. Soft gels are the best. Um, and, and then, yeah, it's like start with five milligrams and, and work your way up from there. There seems to be this interesting black hole in CBD, too, where once you get above 50, there doesn't seem to be any real impact until you get to like 200. Um, this is all part of the testing and a lot of the stuff that's going on right now as far as evaluating this, creating consistency and baselines uh, across the uh, you know the clinical work. So we really understand physiologically how it works. But that's, uh, yeah, long answer. Uh, Really long answer to your question is start with five and work your way up. That is that is great great advice. And uh, Evan, thanks for nerding out with me today. I appreciate it. It is my pleasure. This is awesome. I have to do it again sometime. If you have been a listener for a while, you probably know my own personal story, my hero's journey, if you will, about quitting my life in New York, living on Wall Street, being stressed out, not taking care of myself and going on an epic quest to Iceland that completely changed the course of my life. And you've probably heard about our travel company for young people ages 21 to 35, under 30 experiences. Now, this is not a commercial for under 30 experiences. However, I want to share with you the magic of what travel has done for me. You guys have heard me talk about this on different podcasts, speaking all over the world about this and sharing what I learned about myself and about the world with other people, uh, but mainly focused inwardly when I traveled to be able to gain experiences, to be able to you know, really just experience new things that gave me a completely different perspective and propelled me to start taking care of myself mentally, physically, and spiritually, something that I really had never considered before. So, if you are interested on going on your own epic quest, I would love to get to know you better this fall in Bali, Indonesia. September 30th on our yoga and mindfulness retreats. If you have never practiced yoga in your entire life, if you don't know what mindfulness is whatsoever, I really don't care. I think you should come anyway and come to the rice paddies of a, a magical place in Indonesia, Villa Awang Awang, where we're going to give you a real cultural experience with our partners there on the ground, seeing what it's actually life, like to, to be part of a community uh, there in the Balinese village where we're going to stay. Yes, we're going to practice yoga, eat as healthy as we can, get to know one another, and just have an amazing experience and see what comes out of it. So if you want to be part of this, I suggest you check out under30experiences.com and click the link to the yoga retreat on Bali if you have heard the previous podcast with Luz Garcia, our amazing yoga teacher. She's going to be there. She has over 1,500 hours of yoga teacher training. And I'd really love the opportunity to get to know you, to get to hear your story, 
and uh, share a week with you in someplace amazing. So if you want to take, if you want to commit to changing your life for the better, come join us this fall in Bali.